Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 161 for the 20th of August, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski coming to you live from the Vancouver CBC Summer Music Festival. <laughs> They're just outside your window, I, uh, if I'm not wrong. Yes. A band with the very unlikely name of Bestie. That's, that's correct, uh, Bestie. They are currently not my besties because I'm recording a podcast and I'd prefer a little bit of quiet. But uh, if folks can pick up a little bit of the, the rhythms in the background, uh, I guess that is the sound of summer here in Vancouver. Now, are they, are they an oompa band or are they like more conventional, you know, guitar, drums and somebody singing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's four guys, uh, some guitars and, and percussion. It is not a uh, 114-piece uh, marching band or anything like that. 76 trombones in the big parade is, I think, the uh, phrase you were looking for there. Yeah, no, I, in fact, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, regrettable. I, I used to play the trombone and the tuba, and I don't, I, I don't often get to regale people with the... At the same time! <laughs> with the lovely uh, uh, dulcet tones of my, my brass instrument. Let's talk about MS-14-045. What's the magic behind Uh-oh. that? Uh-oh, blue screen of death. Oh, did I just crash your computer? I'm sorry. No, I'm all right. I've got a Mac. They don't get viruses, Chester. Uh, all blue screens of death. Anyone who's got a Mac will know that when it crashes, you get a gray screen of death. So that's all right. Um, but this one, under admittedly quite rare circumstances, if you apply this patch, which is fixes a font rendering bug in the kernel, then when you reboot your computer, a new bug gets triggered, which can cause a blue screen of death, and you get stuck in a reboot loop. And unfortunately, you have to jump through some hoops with a going into recovery mode, delete a file, fiddle with the registry, reboot, fiddle with the registry again, uninstall the patch, reboot. As you said when we were discussing this earlier, that we'll probably live with people going, right, I'm going to leave it a month, I'm going to patch late, patch irregularly for the next 18 months and see if this happens again, just when we are getting comfortable with Microsoft patching. Why in 2014 in modern operating systems like Windows 8.1 are we still rendering fonts in the kernel? Uh, that's a very privileged area of the system, and fonts, of course, are able to be supplied by all kinds of random user activities like documents and spreadsheets and websites, and it's arbitrary user input into a very sensitive area of the computer. And perhaps it's time Microsoft changed that. I can give you the reason, Chester, and I'll give you a hint. It's one word, and it begins with performance. <laughs> right, but uh, I think with the, the amount of computing power, both in our graphics chips and in our CPUs these days, I'm not really sure that we need um, the racing stripes applied along the side necessarily for font rendering at this point. I think we're a little beyond that. So... Apple has released an update for Safari. It appears they're just a couple days behind Mozilla. Uh, as we've discussed previously in the podcast, Firefox has a release approximately every 42 days. In this case, Apple has had a release of Safari in 44 days. So uh, is this, you know, we've been trying to spot a trend with Apple patches on the podcast here for, I think, going on two or three years. Is this an actual trend this time, or are we still left, you know, kind of guessing? Well, I think we're up to, we're up to, seven in a row now what is it from safari 7 to 7.0.6 where we haven't had a sudden hey we've been doing one every couple of months and but now we'll take five months off uh, and the other nice thing this time from apple is that they didn't fix a giant raft of vulnerabilities including stuff going back ages i think there were seven cves fixed 
Five of them were found by Apple's own security researchers. They're all CV 2014, so there's nothing truly ancient in there. As you say, 44 days since the last update. It looks as though Apple are kind of joining planet Earth a bit. They've got this frequency thing going on. Of course, still no regularity. Yeah, I, 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 most of us enjoy surprises, and Apple certainly puts the surprise in surprise party when it comes to patching. <laughs> but I, I I'm, I'm personally prefer to know a little bit ahead of time. Ah, oh, good on them. I mean, patching is always good. And perhaps, you know, I, I think Apple's philosophy seems to be, if I can put words in their mouth, when they find things, they fix them. And if something of enough criticality comes along, they bundle up all their fixes and ship an update. And, and it's good news that it's coming. Uh, the train is coming a little more frequently. Yep, certainly is. So uh, there was a story from DEF CON uh, this last week that was on the Naked Security blog. I, I didn't actually attend this talk while I was there, but there was a talk about remote access technologies being left enabled uh, without passwords. And in particular, they were talking about what's known as VNC. Uh, most of our listeners are probably familiar with VNC as the virtual network computing take over a desktop from remote, control the mouse, see everything that's on the screen, be able to remotely administer computers. And you know, I use very similar technology to help my mom and dad with support on their laptop when they uh, need some help or can't understand something and want you know, me to look over their shoulder from thousands of kilometers away. Yeah, VNC is in fact the technology in OS X for uh, screen sharing and remote assistance. Uh, Apple actually uses VNC as the core of that. Yeah, and it's 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 also commonly used in a lot of virtualization technologies. Uh, you know, I, I operate a virtual system using the Zen hypervisor on Linux, and one of the options that you can use for managing these virtual machines is simply to turn on VNC so you can get a virtual look into what would be a desktop if it were a full-fledged computer. The problem, of course, is that people are putting these things on the open internet without passwords. Now, a lot of the VNC tools I've used actually require you to use a password. They don't allow you to just put the thing online. But I guess that must not be the case for many versions because these folks at the talk were showing tens of thousands of computers they were finding just doing very basic network scans that were wide open to anybody's prying eyes. Yes, uh, two things to that. Don't do that at home. If you do find that there's a port open on somebody's computer, you're not allowed to go in and look. Even looking, it's not digital trespass. It's equivalent to digital break and enter. So it's not a, some kind of civil thing. If the person decides they don't like it, they could sue you. It's a criminal offense in most countries. I've got a problem with it. I wish they wouldn't do it. But it kind of made the point, you have to admit. And my understanding is that there was a, a journalist who was at that talk, went out afterwards and called up one of the organizations who, whose information had popped up on the screen. It was a pharmacy. They got through to the, I suppose, pharmacist who was aghast, figuring I had no idea. It wasn't supposed to be like that. It was set up by somebody else. And in this case, the person made a giant blunder. They'd installed software that's not even there by default. They'd activated it and they'd made it visible through the firewall, and they hadn't secured it. You know, it's hard to know how much more they could have done that was completely wrong. Yeah, and this this brings up, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a ranty issue for me in that we've seen this over and over again with point-of-sale systems being compromised where, you know, to install the malware, the crook just logs in remotely and installs the malware. They don't need a vulnerability. They don't need to trick anyone. They don't need to do social engineering. Because so many of these uh, alleged IT professionals that are there to help you, Mr. Small Retailer, with your credit card processing needs, 
have installed this remote software to provide tech support with no security involved or or little security, you know, guessable passwords. And, you know, I think part of this is a failure of our profession. We, we really have to step up our game. People selling IT services and consulting and this kind of thing have an obligation and a responsibility and probably, uh, you know, even in some areas, a, a legally binding requirement to do the security properly on these systems. And the victim is the one with egg on their face in the end, and the victim is often the, the retailer. They don't even know they're, you know, they're vulnerable, and yet they're held to uh, the accounting by the public when they have a breach. Yet the people who made the bad decisions are these dodgy contractors. If you go to a tax advisor who completes your tax return for you and makes a complete hash of it because they're incompetent, then ultimately they can be in trouble for that because they're supposed to do things correctly. But it's your return that gets submitted and you're the guy who might end up owing the money, regardless of whether the other guy's in trouble as well. And it's exactly the same with your network. People might feel sorry for you if you go, oh, but I got someone in to set it up and they left this open with VNC with no password. We might feel a bit sorry for you, but it doesn't mean the crooks weren't there stealing anything they wanted. Remember that technologies like VNC, RDP, that sort of thing, they're not just designed to let you log in and run some commands. Anything that you could do at the console or at the computer, you can do remotely. You move your mouse, it moves on the screen. You press shift on your remote keyboard, it's like pressing shift on the real thing. They're kind of right there. Yeah, not to mention the fact that they can remotely observe what you're doing so they can learn a lot about your systems as well. You know, we don't know if that was involved uh, in the next story or not, but uh, a man by the name of Roman Track 2 Selesnev, and with a nickname like Track 2, you might guess as to what kind of business he was involved in. <laughs> yes, that's not Track 2 as in uh, a release of songs like Bestie might do playing outside your window. I guess that's Track 2 of your credit card, right? That's correct. Uh, He's alleged to have got quite a lot of these. Yeah, ex- exactly. He was brought up on charges in uh, in Seattle District Court recently. Uh, he's also wanted in the state of Nevada for credit card fraud as well. Um, quite some hefty charges, from my understanding, uh, as, as typical in, in, in U.S. court cases with the years adding up quite quickly with multiple charges. Um, there, there's some controversy related to uh, his uh, um, indictment and things like that, because some folks feel it's a punishment against the Russian government. He's the son of an MP in Russia, and uh, people feel that it may be related to Snowden, etc. But I kind of threw all that out because there's a lot of evidence that Roman Track 2 was involved in credit card fraud. And f- I really like it when people are held accountable for their criminal actions. Like he's, you know, allegedly s- made millions of dollars selling cards in the underground forums. So not himself perhaps making fraudulent purchases, but rather uh, stealing information or be involved in the theft of that information and selling it on to other crooks uh, to just skim some money off the top. And millions of dollars uh, adds up to probably millions of victims, right? There's not a lot of markup on the stolen card data if you're not the one buying the fraudulent goods with it, right? It's like anything else. It's just something you buy and sell as a commodity. It looks as though just from buying and selling card numbers alone, this particular person has racked up $2 million, if you don't mind. Then there are other, there's other money that he's supposed to have made as well. So it's just a real reminder about that idea of, you know, oh, little old me, I'm not important enough on the internet. Yes, little old you, me and everybody really do matter to the crooks. 
sometimes, you know, if they're targeted attacks, they might care that it's you and your company. Other times, they don't care at all. All they want is some data, and if it happens to be yours, that then becomes your problem. Little old me, I'm too small to be on the radar. Absolutely couldn't be anything more false than that as an excuse. Absolutely. And, and I mean, the, the, all these things really do add up. And in this case, at least, the evidence also adds up a little bit. Um, the, the, some of the data presented in court was quite telling that Roman is likely a, one of the members of the, the people perpetrating these crimes against all these victims because um, while he was on holiday in the uh, Maldives, he was uh, doing searches to see if warrants had been issued for his arrest. He had specifically gone to countries that did not have extradition treaties with the United States. There was a lot of uh, looking over the shoulder, trying to be very cautious. And that was one of the reasons I was quite interested in this story and that it kind of shows that law enforcement uh, can win in these cases, even though he was going out of his way to try to keep himself out of jail. Um, you know, the Americans were able to to kind of side negotiate with a third party to still have him arrested and, and um, conveniently sent to Guam, which is a U.S. territory where he could be formally arrested and charged. Yes. And uh, just as an aside, we've got a piece on naked security, a little bit tongue in cheek, the five best excuses for not doing anything about security. And the little old me, I'm not important enough excuse is the top one. Our listeners probably hear people making these excuses all the time. So we've tried to put together some reasons without being judgmental where we can say, you know what, it does matter because this is what you and the people around you stand to lose. Yes, it matters and it matters very much. Well, that's some good advice, Paul, and I'll conclude Software Security Chat Chat 161. As always, the latest security news is available over at nakedsecurity.sophos.com. And all of our podcasts can be found over at podcasts.sophos.com, where you'll find our RSS feed, a link to our iTunes profile, where you can also get us on the TuneIn app on your iPhone or Android. And all of the podcasts are also available at soundcloud.com slash Security. Until next time, stay secure.